Welcome to Read This Fucking Book, episode 24, The Raven Tower by Anne Leckie. I'm Rachel. I'm Elena. Hi, Elena. Hi, Rachel. (laughs) So last time we spoke, it was to finish the Black Jewels trilogy by Anne Bishop. Yes, that was an adventure. (laughs) Yes. And now we have come back to uh, a mainstay of our of this project in general we just can't get away from ann lecky we read the raven tower but before we get into that do you want to talk about anything else um i actually don't have any particular book news uh just have not been reading a lot lately haven't gotten enough further in the sharon shin book to talk about that again yet um haven't gotten far enough in the new um Nalini Singh book to talk about that so you know I'll uh bump it back to you if you have anything you've been up to uh yes I do I just want to give a shout out to Red Star Reviews and thank you to Jacob for being such a supportive book friend to us uh he sent some listeners over so hello people who hi listeners welcome there um we hope this is where you're starting and not the last couple yeah right (laughs) well (laughs) i mean if they do that's fine it's just get to all the other good books but i do want to encourage jacob to finally finish all of the ancillary books by ann lecky because again this is an ann lecky episode and i think because this is episode 24 and we've read a couple more books than 24 episodes but she's at, at about 20% of our entire content right now. <laughs> so clearly we love her uh, and we endorse her. So yeah, finish the ancillary books. <laughs> read read those fucking books. Yeah, read Seriously, them. read those fucking books. Uh, and then also just note to any of the listeners that are here because of the Fire and Lunch podcast, never fear that pod is continuing because we are still reading Fire and Blood and there's going to be spinoffs and all, all kinds of other things. Um but this is also a kind of mini announcement that we have another project in the <laughs> works that's going to be a bit of a spin-off of RTFB because there is a particular series that we're just going to read off everything of. So uh, I'm not going to reveal that series yet, but if you can't guess, then you are definitely new. <laughs> <laughs> and I am definitely the rereader if you need that clue. I mean, the new reader if you yes, need that clue. <laughs> and I will be the rereader. Yeah. So anyway, uh, let's move on then to The Raven Tower by Anne Leckie. The Raven Tower is Anne Leckie's full-length fantasy novel debut uh, after four novels in the Imperial Ratch universe. Uh, But this isn't a new genre for Leckie. In fact, she has published several short stories set in this universe of The Raven Tower already. Uh, This one was published in February 2019, and Anne says that she was inspired by N.K. Jemisin's use of the second-person perspective in her Broken Earth novels, and, of course, a little play named Hamlet, another play called Death and the King's Horseman by Nigerian playwright Wol Soyinka, and a Swedish fable about how the sea got salty involving a magical millstone are her three source texts for the story. Lecky also continues to write very deliberately about gender without making it the main focus of her stories with The Raven Tower. And this novel is well-reviewed by critics. It enjoys a very strong four-star rating on sites like Goodreads. And it has not been nominated for anything as yet that I can see uh, when I looked, but it's also pretty early yet. It's only June, so it's been about three months since it came out. And I don't think they've started nominating anything for, like, best of, you know, for the year yet anyway. Yeah. So, Elena, what the hell is this book about? Um, okay. So, 
Um, this book is essentially a story of an old god taking revenge upon a new god and potentially the people who followed the new god. Um, it's a uh, more specifically, it it follows. Um, a young man who is rushing, like he's, as the book opens, he's rushing back to his home to take basically, it is not a kingship, but it's a lease from a god. So, but you get to rule as the king. Um, because his father, the last message he had is that his father was about to die and he needed to come home and, you know, become the new uh, lease as soon as possible. But he gets there only to discover that his uncle has usur- usurped the lease uh, with the help of um, the head of the other god in the area, this god of the silent forest, um, and or the silent god of the forest, however it's phrased. And basically he sort of sets out to prove that his father uh, didn't shirk his duty to the god and flee instead of committing ritual suicide uh, to renew the god and that his uncle's a liar and, you know, usurping the the throne and the power and is going to basically lead them all uh, to get killed because that's the covenant with the god is that the lease, you know, kills himself and if not he the god will abandon the people and all the things he protects them from so um over the course of the story we discover that uh it's a lot um the intrigue is a lot deeper because it gets into the fact that the raven has actually been dead for some time and is being impersonated by another god who uh is basically trying to get free of its entrapment uh, in order to go about its own business instead of being stuck where it is in, you know, perpetual servitude to these people that it has no actual agreement with. So it's, I don't know, it's complicated, but also, but also kind of like in terms of story and plot, very simple, like very little action actually happens. It's just um, a lot of backstory that has to come out first before you can appreciate the action that does happen yeah and a lot of that i think we're gonna try to okay well i'm going to try to break it down as i'm leading this since i'm going to act as so you know full disclosure usually one of us has read the story before and one of us is reading for the first time but because this is a new release uh uh, we, we were both new readers. yeah we're both new but i'm going to kind of play the part of the person who has read it by leading the discussion and i have to confess i had no idea that uh, about the hamlet connection until after i had read it and then started going through some of the interviews with Anne, where she spoke about you know the process and why she chose fantasy and where the idea for the story came from and i felt kind of stupid for not recognizing the hamlet connection you know Immediately. Full disclosure, the English major in the house also didn't recognize that connection. Oh, okay. That makes me feel better. I think also just because like <laughs> Hamlet is something that gets kind of pulled as like a source material for a lot of different stories. Like, you know, like even the Lion King, you know, is just Hamlet. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that maybe we it's not something that I look for as like, like a straight reference because it's done so often, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of times that it's kind of more story DNA to me and less a reference. So. That's yeah. my excuse for myself. <laughs> and uh, my excuse for myself is that I focused on 
rhetoric and linguistics uh, because I didn't pick up on this sort of symbolism very much when I was reading texts, even that specifically had it. So, you know, there it is. Um, yeah, I think also it's confusing because, you know, it is in, it is in this second person perspective and it really just reorients the story in a way that makes that kind of connection difficult for me. Yeah, and it's also like, I don't know, just to me, the, what was so much more fascinating uh, than the little like human play of events was the interplay between the various god figures right. and like the god politics of it and just the whole system of like the gods anyway and, and how they interacted with humans and what those interactions meant and like how they were, you know, how it mattered and what like how how those ties were formed over time and either you know integrated or degraded with different actions and different situations and i was just like i could really give a shit less what actually <laughs> happened with the humans i was yeah. like but this this but who's who is this god that like is the stone it's i don't know i have to know why does it care why yeah is i think it at here? one How point i texted there? you and i was like wait is this a millstone? Is this a giant millstone? Because <laughs> you don't know. You don't know what yeah. you're reading for a very long time. And I think, I think you know, like we've, we have lots of practice in this podcast in particular with reading books where we don't know what the hell's going on until halfway through. So mm -hmm. I, was, I was fine with that. I trusted that eventually everything would come together and I would understand what the hell I was reading. But yeah, mm -hmm. like you have no clue, like, who you're, whose point of view you're reading from even from a, for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, it's at least like a quarter, maybe a third of the way through the book before the um, the stone owns itself as a god and like that it's the stone that's talking. Um, yeah, and, and I had an arc at first. So the arc didn't have maps in it. It didn't have a dramatis persona. It just had like placeholders for them. So mm. eventually I just went out and bought the actual book because I needed it because I could not figure out where anyone was in relation to anyone else, like where the difference between the two cities and the bodies of water, I just needed to know. So I had to buy another copy so that I had the map instead of getting this arc that I picked up for free. <laughs> so. Yeah, there is a, there is something to be said for a good map in a fantasy book. Yeah, I mean, isn't that like an old joke that it's not a proper fantasy book if it doesn't have a map? <laughs> Right. And, I mean, and also sometimes it's like, ah, okay, this is fun. This is just like a thing to have, like a pretty illustration. But I really needed the map. For yeah. This. Well, yeah. I mean, this was, yeah, because because um, just the, the way it's written and the way, I don't it's, it's a very oblique way of setting the story. Because like normally in a fantasy book, like especially one that's a completely foreign setting, it's, you know, like a new world, new land, you're going to have a character, whether it's the main character or like a traveler passing through, or, you know, somebody gets educated about like where they are and what's going on. And, you know, there's a dozen different ways that it happens. But generally speaking, the author will set that um, scene so that even if you're not looking at the map, you can kind of get like a mental lay of the land. And like that did not happen. No, it was not like, once. It was just like here's the name to... of the city. Where the fuck is that? I don't know. Yeah, and it's across the uh, you know across the strait. Well, I mean, like you can and you could look across it and see. So I'm like, okay, this is obviously a very narrow strait. But like, there's so many. Like... And there's woods involved. I don't know. <laughs> like... Exactly. And yeah, it was. It was. It. 
it, like, there it's was well some done. trade yeah the way that trade moved from like one direction to the other card mm-hmm. like the cardinal directions it's like okay so i know that there is a forest to the south and i know that like it's colder to the north and you know like but i just needed a map so i, I gave up and bought an actual copy Okay, so before we kind of break down some of the stories and the places, I do want to start maybe with characters. Okay, um, um, that would that would be a reasonable starting point. Yeah, so um, we have the people that kind of live in the in the present, right? Uh, our main character. Well, I guess I think of him as the main character because that is the person that the narrator is focused on the most and his mm-hmm. name is Iolo. Uh, and then Iolo serves Mawat. Mawat is the kind of Hamlet figure that has come home to, you know, see that his, his inheritance really has been stolen by his uncle. Um, there's the person that we're going to refer to as the Raven's lease, who is Mawat's father, but there are, there's another Raven's lease, the Lord, Hib- Lord Hibal, who is Mawat's uncle who is now acting as the Raven's Lease. Um, then there's Lord Radaha, who is one of the... So there's the kind of... The way that the that the town that they live in is kind of constructed is there's the Raven's Lease. There's another god, uh, the god of the Silent Forest, that has kind of a female, uh, like, priest priestesses that also hold power in the town. And then there's the people that they call the Directions, who each each represent kind of an area of people. Uh, yeah, so, for the rest of the country. For the rest so. of the country. So they're, I guess they're like the civilian and not the religious leadership. So Lord Radaha is one of them. Um, Tikaz is his daughter. Zazume is uh, the head priestess for the Lord of the, or for the God of the Silent Forest. And then we have um, Dupizu, who is kind of a foreigner who has come to the town and is relatively important to some of the, the mystery that's going on. Uh, and then two guys named Oskel and Okim who are twins. And those, I mean, there are other people mentioned. But, the, I mean, those are the only, like, kind of named people where, like, that character actually matters to the overall plot. Yeah, and I think, like, those so. are the people who are, like, running around the most at the end, <laughs> if you're, like, yeah. thinking of a play. Uh, yeah. And then for the gods, there is our narrator, uh, who is eventually named strength and patience of the hill uh their best friend is called the myriad uh and those are the two of them are kind of the the most ancient gods that we encounter and then there are newer gods um the gods of araden so that's the raven the god of the silent forest and then there's another one uh that they call the mounder up of skulls which is just that's great uh the god names were so awesome (laughs) yes and then there's uh the other town ardvustia and those gods are Oishan and Adim Chak. And Oishan is the one that actually trapped, right? Yes. Um, that actually yeah. trapped our strength and patience of the hill. Yeah, there's this weird interplay where strength and patience of the hill, once upon a time, was simply a god who chose to inhabit a stone. Um, and then... Or is the stone? The stone came or, from space, I think. E- I don't know. Well, that was that was myriad. So I don't know. It's uh, hard to say whether that one. I thought came they were both a... basically the same thing, except that the myriad broke apart and strength and patience didn't. 
I mean, that's possible. I just like it, all all I remember was like when it was talking about the beginning was the first thing it remembered was the ocean and I was in it for so long. So to me, it was like it had, was, you know, from the earth, whereas Myriad had fallen. But maybe I, see. It, I guess that's yeah. not important. Yeah. But it does. It's yeah. They're both it, rocks. It doesn't really matter. They're both rocks. Um, <laughs> but um, it was a god who chose to inhabit that body or that was its original body. Um, and some of the gods choose to like switch bodies or move between bodies and strength and patience never did. Um, but then it, there's also like God bespoke objects, which are basically where a God will give an object a certain specific power under certain specific parameters. And at some point, um, strength and patience of the hill makes the rock into a god bespoke rock. But anytime a god bespoke an object is used, it draws from the god's power. So, like the way then that the people there used that rock kind of trapped um, strength and patience inside it until, like it, until that least kind of uh, until those parameters were broken and changed, basically. Yeah. So, it's, so it's, it's it's like both. It's weird. Yeah. So I think one of the so there's a lot of different cons, kind of conceits for the book. Like if you were going to do an elevator pitch to someone, you're like, oh well, it is a fantasy novel about gods who are fighting over you know their own kind of um their own power struggle and the people that are in the way you could also say that it's a a a fantasy story with a trans main character you could also say that it is uh an interesting story set in a second person perspective uh which means that you're limited to what that character knows right uh, mm-hmm. And I think the the key point in that particular pitch is that not only is it second person, but these gods, because of the nature of their powers that Elena was saying, like if they say something it is true, that means they can't lie. Because if they lie or say something that isn't true, their power will be pulled on to make it true. And if it's not something that they have enough power to make true, it could kill them. So... Again, our narrator can only say what is true or what they think is happening, but they have to be very careful about how they convey that information because they can't just say, I think you were angry. Because if you weren't angry, then that could actually damage them just mm-hmm. by you know speaking it. Um, what else could this be? I mean, you, you could also pitch it as a revenge story, yeah. as a retelling of Hamlet. Um you know, there are definitely some cultural clashes and some, you know, con- like conquering culture issues that, that come and come in very subtly and mostly on the human end. But there's definitely like some of that going on. And there may be an anthropological fantasy because uh, there's definitely a lot of kind of embedded information about how like trade routes would have worked and how information and goods would have filtered back and forth between different kinds of peoples and um just a lot of uh i don't know just a lot of interesting interplays yeah i have to say and i know i was kind of open with you about this when we first started reading it the first like half of the book was difficult for me to get through just because I I didn't there wasn't a lot happening there was a lot being told to me and I think that's also just the nature of the sec of the perspective like 
Mm-hmm. I felt like not a lot was happening because it had already happened. Right. Or, the, or uh, you know, there was like a lot of guessing going on on the part of strength and patience. Like they would, they would again, focus on Eolo and say like things like, oh, I think, I think you were looking for something and then you walked down the street and then I saw you do this. And then I think that meant that you were doing this and this. And that's a difficult way to read, <laughs> read mm-hmm. action. <laughs> it's just, it, it just is. So you have to kind of trust that this author is taking you somewhere that you want to go. And that's difficult yeah. for me. Which um, I actually found our, our reactions to this book hilarious because Rachel started before I did. And she, you know, kind of sent me a warning tag. She's like, just, I'm at like 50% and nothing has happened yet. So <laughs> just go ahead and start um, in case it's slow for you too. And I went ahead and started and I was like, Bitch, what are you talking about? This thing is fabulous. It's so good. Yeah. I could like I couldn't put it down. I think I read it in like three or four days, which given the time constraints that my life has on reading, um That's fast. It was it was really fast, fast for me. It was like I was reading at the dinner table. I was like, kid, I don't care what you're watching, just get out of my face. Let me read this book. Yeah, I mean it's like um, it's like a little <laughs> over three hundred pages, so you could you know, if you're a fast reader, then you could do it in the day. It took me like three weeks. <laughs> And I would be like, the rock is still talking. I think our main character... Well, first it was, I think the main character is a rock. Yes. And then as I (laughs) came to terms with that, then I was like, okay, I think the rock... I think the rock is stuck somewhere. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I'm noticing a lot about how it used to not be stuck somewhere. But also when it wasn't stuck, it never moved anyway. (laughs) Like... You know, it was it was a lot. Um, so because we're talking about how difficult that is, I'm going to go ahead and read just a passage. And this is actually from near the end where there is a lot of stuff going on. So this is like the action sequence. Um, and I just want to it, it, it's it's two paragraphs. One of them's a little long, but it kind of gives you a, a hint if you haven't read the book yet of how the how the God's powers work, how the narration works. Uh, And how confusing things can be when no one really has (laughs) names. Uh, So, yeah. Uh, At first, the arrogant gods of the Ardvastia thought that it would be a simple thing to destroy the apparently human soldiers, even directly assisted by a god as they obviously were. But despite all the Ardvastian efforts to stop them, the marchers, the forest itself, came inexorably over the waves, dispatching the monsters, stepping into the harbor, onto the quays, into the city, and slaughtering all who opposed them. The god of the silent had stirred itself, uprooted its own trees to come to Aradin's aid, and in its anger, even stronger than before with the deaths of the Aradeni soldiers who had dedicated themselves to that god before setting out, the forest was too powerful to be overcome. The gods of Ardvastia exhausted themselves against the god of the silent, and the raven had but to speak them all dead, every god of Ardvastia, and every god aiding the gods of Ardvastia. The raven and the forest between them destroyed all the weapons, God-spoken or not, that Ardvastia had used against Vestai, and then, still, after everything, as strong as ever, the forest returned to the silent contemplation of its trees, having promised to continue to protect and defend the people of Araden at need. Like, that was basically Fanghorn Forest coming <laughs> to, mm-hmm. the, to the aid, uh, you know, at Helm's Deep, and it was still just kind of like, very past tense very like history you know like Mm old-fashioned history book kind of and yet we have an actual rock that is telling us what is happening but but they can't make it 
they can't give it any more flavor than fact because it could <laughs> it could damage them right so they can't be like oh right. it was amazing and there were flashes and people felt like this and you know they can't they could just say this is what happened the forest came alive <laughs> And slaughtered everyone, and they had a lot of power, and they spoke the gods dead, and then they then they left. Uh, so yeah, it's it's interesting and also, but also difficult, especially if you're like me, picking up this book thinking that it's going to kind of have the same wit and energy as the ancillary books. It's do- it doesn't. It's a completely different book. It's very well okay. written, but it's different. It, well, I, I have so many comments. Yes, it, it is. It is a different book. But do you do you remember the first time we both read like ans- the first ancillary book and it was kind of slow and you're kind of like, I don't really know where this is going. Mm-hmm. And there's so much like backstory. And it wasn't until like the second read that we we're like, oh, this is so great. Yeah. So I th- you know, I, I, and I don't know, I guess just like having such a non-human intelligence as the narrator like she does that so well. Yes. Um, and so that maybe also like is part of it. Um, I actually think that maybe the way you told me about the book might've been part of why I responded to it so much because you, you were like the, the main character is a rock. Or the narrator <laughs> is a rock. And like, you didn't say anything else. You didn't contextualize it further. And I was like, so I was thinking, Oh, okay. This is like probably some hyper literary like conceit where the narrator is like one of the rocks of the tower and so you're going to get like this partially told like this partial view of the story where all that this rock can see is like one room or like the staircase or you know or something like that which could actually be really fucking fascinating but would probably be like slow and confusing and hard to read and one of those things that you right and i mean there are parts of the story that are like that because strength and patience takes a while to put their their yeah. <laughs> awareness into all the other rocks so you know. also true yeah but but when it you know started and it was like oh clearly this is like a sentient rock who can see beyond and like is, is like able to get into the other stones of the tower like then i was like oh okay this is gonna be it, it's still you know but a lot more interesting and so it was more than what i thought it was gonna be and so that might also matter like how how is this book sold to you <laughs> yeah i think i think the thing that it was missing for me if i have any criticism is there it wasn't very funny like mm. at all like yeah. it didn't have a lot of wit. Like there, like Iolo had a few moments, but it was really, you know, it, it was not the kind of hu- the humor that I encountered in the ancillary books. That is absolutely true. So that's my only. I mean, it's 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 a satisfying read, and it's a simple story, but it's not particularly funny. <laughs> yeah. So would would. We hadn't actually talked about your feelings about this story um, at the end. Like, I'll I'll say it at the end. I was like basically like cheering in my seat, like yeah, bring that tower down, fuck all of you. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. Um, so, how did you feel about the story, like overall? <laughs> I was surprised that it was over. Like I said, I think I told you this in a text where I got I literally read the last chapter and. I was on the train and I was like, okay, here's a good stopping point. Like, I'll finish the book next time I get on the train. And then the next day I got on the train and like turned the page and it was like, this is over. And I was like, wait, that was, that was the end? Because I felt like, I think I felt like because Strength and Patience had talked so much about their attendance and how like very little prayers from very few people from very far away were really what were sustaining them. And, mm-hmm. you know, they had been in this town for, I guess, a really long time. 
it's unclear how long, but hundreds and hundreds of years, probably. And I thought that that strength and patience would have felt a little bit more loyalty to the people that had lived in that that lived in in that town, but they they didn't. It was like, okay, Yolo, I like you, but only because you're not from here. You're from. Yeah. You are actually <laughs> descended from people that pledged themselves to me a thousand years ago. I like you. You can leave. Everyone else can fucking die. And it was like, oh, because, you know, like up until like the rising action, like amongst all the rising action, there's like the fires that keep happening. And because because strength and patience was no longer obligated to do all of the things that the Raven had trapped them into doing. And possibly also all the things that the and the, the god, god of the, the silent, silent forest yeah. had been doing as well. Yeah, it seems like it seems like as the other gods faded, strength and patience was tasked with maintaining all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when that didn't have to happen anymore because the raven had uh, had died, and because the raven had died, nothing that they had spoken was no was no was binding any longer. So. The town went to shit immediately. Like everyone got like diphtheria or something, and like there were a bunch of fires, and the yeah, there was flooding. These and... people were like fucking incompetent at life, by the way, because <laughs> they had this god, or they thought it was multiple gods that like protected them from all of these things, and so they literally didn't know about like basic hygiene and like boiling water when dysentery is going around, and you know, like that just wasn't a thing. They're like, oh no, the god, the gods got this. We we don't have to worry. They're going to protect us, right? And I mean, like, again, that's fair because in this universe, gods are real. Gods do things for you and you don't. It's like technology, right? Like, right. Like my toilet takes away all of those things. Like if if the god of the toilet suddenly stopped working and it just, you know, like I wouldn't know how to deal with that. I don't know how to fix a toilet, but that's fine because that's technology. And so I think that's kind of where the gods are in, in this universe is they take the place of that. I think I, I've talked about this before in terms of Game of Thrones on the podcast where it's like, why does technology stop? Like, why are these people living the same way for thousands of years? It's like, all right, they <laughs> right? have magic. They have gods and stuff that like take the place of that. And then they don't have to innovate. You don't have to solve problems that you don't have. So right. I get I get that. But yeah, I thought that maybe strength and patience would be like, oh, these are innocent children that are all dying, you know, and I'm going to help them first. And then I'm going to cast down the tower. And it was like, oh, no, no, I'm not. (laughs) These fuckers pledge themselves to a dead god. That's their problem. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was a, it was definitely, there was definitely a sense of being put upon. And, um, and I, it was, I think like the Raven had, you know, trapped the the actual body of the stone into um, into service because thinking it was just a god bespoke stone, not realizing it was a god. Right. And so, um, you know, the because it it had made itself into that god bespoke, you know, stone. Basically, as long as it was turning in the tower, it was obligated to do everything that the raven had said it would, which was essentially like do the things that I'm supposed to be doing that I'm too weak to do. And this is like some of the god politics because the raven had spoken dead, all of the gods of Ardbuskia and everyone, all the gods who aided them. Well, two of the gods who aided them were old gods that the raven did not have the power to kill. The millstone or the strength and patience of the hill is one of them. And And so it's like this catch. And they married with the other. And so it's this catch 22 where like the, the more it asked the, 
uh, strength and patience of the hill to do in order to like shore up its own weakness the more like that power required power to keep, to keep the bond to do so yeah yeah like was draining it so um and and it, and the raven was kind of it's an interesting idea because you know like you think of a god and like there's other books out there where there are gods that are main characters and they are like powered by prayers or offerings or whatever mm-hmm. right so like that the same thing happens here these gods are powered by these offerings by these prayers but the raven though because it started out as kind of like a small time gangster kind of a god <laughs> really figured out that all it really needed was like one human life at a time Mm-hmm. And so that was the lease, right? It was like, you pledge yourself to me and you can be like my mouthpiece. You can be my, not, not avatar. Cause it didn't occupy those people. It occupied a Raven, but you mm-hmm. could be like the lead to be like, look, I'll, I'll funnel all my power through you and you can just do all the, the work while I can be the God. And then at the end of everything, you just offer your life to me and I'll take that as my prayer. So like the Raven mm-hmm. didn't have anything else. The Raven had like a finite amount of power at its disposal at any time like mm-hmm. and it, so it screwed itself in that way whereas strength and patience of the hill because it was so old had like this sort of compounded like it was it was able to do quite a lot with very little prayer but it also mm-hmm. all it never ran out of those prayers because it was so old that so many of these civilizations had people in it that would offer things to that to that particular god even if they weren't maybe even aware of it yeah it was like all like um and this this is i guess where some of the um anthropology stuff comes in um because uh there's definitely uh an element of like the seven-year king cycles i don't know if that's a concept you've really encountered too much and i'm only loosely um aware of it I, i don't know all the details but essentially it was um it it's posited that there were times in the human past when we had essentially willing human sacrifice to the gods and the idea was that you would be king for seven years and then when your reign was over you sacrificed your life for the god Mm -hmm. and the reason you got to be king and have like your every whim catered to is because of the sacrifice of your own life that you were making like for the safety and protection of your people so you got to you know live it up uh, and then go out uh at a time that you knew in advance and um so it's kind of like the the lease is kind of like that like you right know... and because like it was when the bird would die that you would need to kill mm-hmm. yourself it wasn't like right you didn't like get to kill yourself when you were 90 it was like oh no that that bird died so now it's time for me to pay the lease yeah um and um and then on on the subject of the like strength and patience of the hills having prayers just kind of trickling in from here and there like a lot of a lot of traditions or relig- things that have religious meaning will get embedded in a mm-hmm. culture and like what remains is the symbol even after the meaning falls away and so then people will still perform like these rituals and rites and if you're a god that those belong to like those would still come to you even if you're not being named and the people think it's just oh it's just we paint easter eggs because they're pretty yeah like, i think like know. good examples of that could be like if you look at american gods or uh or even like the rick riordan books with percy jackson mm-hmm. and everything where it's like you have these very like old school gods represented in them like like odin or or you know like hermes or something and like nobody 
worships those gods anymore but because right. they've become part of our culture like you know like the symbol for doctors is the is her, is that one staff of hermes and like you know like mm-hmm. it's embedded or you know like american gods is like that's the whole plot of the book but you know they still <laughs> get power from just right. our daily modern lives or whatever the contemporary lives are so yeah so um i think which was really interesting about the myriad is that like the myriad kind of fucked over their friend by being like, Hey, you're my friend. Come help me because strength and patience never left their hill. That's where they lived that like people pilgrimaged yeah. to that mountain to be like, that is strength and patience of the hill is here. Um, whereas the myriad was one of those types of gods that traveled around the world and like spread its influence and had many prayers that way. But then again, it had, it also spread its responsibilities Right. Mm -hmm. So the myriad was like, oh, there's wars over here and I need help. And, you know, I need one of the old gods to help me convince strength and patience to like pick itself up and like get carried all the way down to this other place. And then, of course, they get killed. And I'm wondering, like, why didn't the myriad help get. Why? Like, where where the hell are you, myriad? Why aren't you helping your friend? Yeah. This whole time. I mean, we uh, we see what the uh, what the war did to strengthen patience of the hill. Right. So we don't know what the myriad had obligated itself to do, and you know that's a, the thing with like those binding, you know, those bind the binding words. So if you agree to, you know, help, um, like you can't not like your power will like the god's power will go to helping regardless of whether they still want to or if they realize that oh man that other god tricked me and you know i'm in a gotcha situation but so we we don't know what what happened to myriad or how long they needed to recover um after the war we know that strength and patience of the hill eventually was able to kill the raven and regain its strength but at the same time it was then bound to the tower uh spinning spinning. as a millstone with the obligation to perform the acts the raven and the silent god of the or the god of the silent forest were doing to protect iradin so right so it had to convince someone to come and destroy the apparatus because part of part of what the strength and patience had said was well yeah i'll do this thing for you as long as you're turning me that seems you know realistic but then they figured out how to keep it turning forever by putting it on essentially a giant mill that the, yeah. that was like powered by the waves or something. Um, yeah, I assume it was like the that. waves. I think it was the waves because they were in, there was like a harbor and there was no obvious like windmill. So I think it must've been underneath. Yeah. Um, and we know and that definitely, the tide coming in and out. Yeah. And, and definitely the, the water there was like the the way the tower was built the water would come into the yeah. bottom and you know with the tide so right so we so somebody invented something amazing to to spin this millstone forever uh and as long as it was spinning the the best part was that not only was strength and patience like obligated to do all these other things but they were also obligated to maintain the the machine that was enslaving them so like it could have rotted away and like eventually broken down but they kept they had to keep it in working order so it's like having to like polish your like cell bars you know like yeah (laughs) i thought that was pretty interesting um let's talk about eolo so eolo is our I guess our hero by virtue of being the favored 
the person that strength and patience actually likes because again it comes out at the end that they are descended from people that had pledged themselves to that had used to live and pledged themselves to strength and patience of the hill and Mm -hmm. so somewhere in their ancestry was like a priest or something that that strength and patience really liked uh other interesting things about yolo is that they are trans man uh and I really do like. It's weird because the this, this the this kind of society that they live in is is very weirdly superstitious. Like, they don't like twins, right? To the point where they will basically try to kill them. Yeah, they just leave them on the edge of the forest and let the forest take them. Yeah, and if you survive, then you know they don't like you and they treat you like crap. Uh, <laughs> they have other like like gender based things like. Oh, like Suzume, like the temple that they go in for the God of the Silent Forest. Like only women can go in there. Men don't go in there. But yet everyone's very accepting that Iolo is not a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, like they don't question it. Like they give, they call him, him. They refer to him as a man. Like it's not, I, I mean, I, I liked that. I liked that like there was really no trouble in this society with accepting that Iolo was a man. Well, it, I mean, is that what was going on? Or is it that Iolo had basically managed to keep that secret from essentially everyone but Mawat? And then um, the the uh, counselor or the direction's daughter discovers it by accident as well. Um, um, I think the way that I read it was that it was fairly obvious that mm-hmm. Iolo was, was trans because again they were living their life in a in a female body it's not like they they didn't have like technology that would allow them to do like hormone therapy or anything so right i mean they bound I, I guess their breasts just... and and kept their hair short but you know they were small they were small stature they probably had like more feminine presenting like features and mm-hmm. it seems like some people like uh, like when Zazume was like, oh, did you go in there? And then Iolo was like, I can't go in there. I can't go in there. That's not, that's for women. Mm-hmm. And then people being like, yeah, that's fine. We're not going to make you go in there. Like it was like a kind of acknowledgement mm-hmm. of that choice of that. It's like, yes, we understand you are a man. Don't worry. We're not going to make you go in there. Okay. Because uh, it was, I mean, it wasn't something that I guess I'd spent a lot of time thinking about, but I, I read it more as it was like a secret that he, that he would have died, like basically died to keep um, if possible. Oh, interesting. But, I didn't read it that way at all. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know, that's a, it, it, it is interesting to have like, I guess, essentially two different reads on that situation. Um, because regardless of whether it, like it was accepted in, you know, the the society or whether it was truly a secret um Mawat's like absolute like you got like you're my bro like, yeah you got my back I trust you more than anybody um is still gonna like make that relationship um you know important for Elo and maybe like in the way that the the two twins that we meet um I can't even Oscom and Oscom Os- and Okim yeah yeah 
um, they basically don't have any friends but each other because everyone sort of like makes the whatever equivalent of like the sign of the cross when they yeah because it's like you, know, you can't walk by you can't, yeah you twins no that's yeah not, that's so, not natural <laughs> right <laughs> like, you know so like if 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 Elo was experiencing that sort of like reaction even if he didn't get you know, openly like challenged or assaulted or, you know, anything like that, having a, a friend like Mawat who truly just did not care and was like, no, like, you're my friend. Like, I trust you. Right. Like, that's what this is, um, would have been really important and would have explained like the depth of his loyalty. Um, mm-hmm. um yeah, I, that, that is an interesting read on it. Like, it does. It is kind of weird that they would draw the line at like that. Like that one thing would be okay, whereas other things that people can't help would not be okay. But I guess that's also representative of our society now, because <laughs> there yeah. are plenty of things that people can't help that are both accepted and not accepted. So, um, I let's talk about Mawat. So, like Mawat, one of their one of his defining characteristics is his kind of issues with anger. Mm-hmm. his anger issues and i'm wondering because of the hamlet connection if like that was real or if that was a tactic that mawat had developed over the years to get his way mm-hmm. uh, because it um, seemed like he acted he only really acted crazy when there was an audience right and the rest of the time he was like oh no i'm just gonna you know it's like oh hey hello thanks for bringing me food i'm having one of my morose like you know it seemed like there was always a lot of people talking about Mawat being like unpredictable and violent but like not mm-hmm. a lot of him actually doing those things mm-hmm. um I could definitely like I, like my, my my read on it was maybe the, just the idea of like you're always 17 in your hometown like when you right. come up under scrutiny and in a place where everybody knows everybody like nobody's gonna let you forget like what you what you went through in the process of coming to maturity and sort of growing into yourself. And so if you are someone who has like very volatile emotions in childhood, and if you basically aren't like helped to channel those in a specific way or like kind of taught how to manage them, um, then you're going to kind of be known as like a hothead or, um, you know, oh, they cry at the drop of a hat. Oh, they're so dramatic. Oh, this, you know, oh, that. And that's just sort of like a, a persona. And then when you hear everyone saying that to you, you know, it, it becomes very easy to create a persona that like plays up to that or like go just go with that narrative. Um, but then when you, if you grow up uh, and are able to get away from that situation, then you, you know, you're able to find a more, I guess, authentic expression of yourself. You get a little more you control, you step out of that narrative. And I think that's what happened with Mawat, where when he was able to go down to the southern border and just, like, be the leader and, you know, be himself without all of the baggage of whatever he had had been as a child, like, he was able to get a little more control. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's definitely um, the case when he goes back to the tower. Like, every one of his outbursts is calculated. And he even, like, tells Eolo, like, I'm going to be crazy here. Just mm-hmm. roll with it, you know? Yeah, I I mean, it's also kind of like a lot of the times when people are born into the privileged, you know, class, they get to they get to act worse than people who aren't. Right. I'm going to be the least. I'm going to have to kill myself when I'm 30 or whatever. Like, screw you. Yeah, so fuck you. I'll do what I want. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting kind of like 
he seemed very calculating. Um, but also mm-hmm. there were points where you thought like Moat was going to like come through and like believe Iolo and like he wouldn't. He had to be like yeah. really convinced. Like he had to be dragged down those stairs and shown. And then even when he saw his father, he was just kind of like he didn't react. And I mean, he reacted in a way that was logical for a person who was raised in a society to believe all of those things. Like he didn't. Mm-hmm. He was really sickened that his father hadn't figured out a way to kill himself. Yeah, like that was um that was one of I think the the best moments um of the book for me and I'm not sure why except that it like it it was just not the reaction I was expecting. Yeah. Because it was not like, "Oh, father, you've been tied up here. You truly were prevented from like performing your, yeah, like, you know, sacrifice." He was like, "You yeah. piece Mother- of shit." Yeah, you. Like, there's a there's a tide that fills the lower chamber. All you had to do was wriggle across the floor and down the <laughs> stairs at the right time. <laughs> well, then it was interesting too because like they were down there for what like ten days, like no food and water, and like still mm-hmm. alive. Like clearly there was magic involved. Like the god was keep like something right. was keeping the lease alive. Like until the voluntary. Because that was the whole thing, right? That's why mm-hmm. um, his brother kept him in the basement because he was trying to test to see when... He wanted the raven to die. Like, he thought, okay, if I can prevent the raven from getting into a new body and from getting its lease paid, it will die. And the way mm-hmm. I will know that is that the lease will die without suicide, right? And so that was his... Because he was waiting because he wanted to install a new god in town for trade reasons, for, you know, his own personal power struggles, whatever. But that was kind of like the mystery. Because there is a bit of a murder mystery. Like, what happened to the lease? Why did it happen mm-hmm. to the lease? What does Strength and Patience of the Hill have to do with any of this? And why would they care? And right. what are everyone's motivations? And so, like, when you find out all these kind of moving pieces, um, it is really satisfying to kind of see everything click into place. Where you're like, oh, okay, so he's trying to do this, and he's trying to do this. And meanwhile, like, Strength and Patience is just in the basement, spinning around, like, doing all this work <laughs> without getting paid. And... Like, like, you know, like, fuck you, pay me. That's basically the whole, like, like, gist of the story. But, you know, like, he he just stayed alive. He couldn't die. And he also couldn't figure out how to kill himself. So it was weird. Or it, he didn't want to. Well, I mean, and, that's, clearly, and that was, yeah. and that was the thing. It's like, there were so many, like, discussions um, had about the, uh, the lease's character that, like, would he, in fact, pay the lease? Like, would he have paid it? Or, you know, did he run off? Like, everyone believed it entirely plausible that he chose to run rather than pay the lease. Right. So, yeah. and then, so then when that's Mawat's reaction, like, uh, you could have figured this out if you wanted to, if you actually wanted to die, if you truly, like, served the god and, like, believed in your, you know, obligation here, you would have found a way to do it. Well, like, the sad part, the sad part is, is that, like, the god was dead. Like, mm-hmm. the raven didn't exist anymore. That's why there was still no egg. Like, the raven had fucking died. Like, strength and patience killed it. And so mm-hmm. I think when he realized, it was weird because it's like from one moment to the next, he when after Mawat was basically like, you could have figured out how to kill yourself. And then they left the room and then Iolo went back in the room and the Elise was dead. And I was like, wait, so who just killed them? Did he kill himself because he realized that he could die? Or <laughs> did strength and patience stop keeping him alive because there was no, like what, what happened there? That's kind of a little bit of a mystery. Yeah. Um, 
but there's you know like there there's just a lot of like weird god stuff (laughs) that that i just was that to me was more interesting than like the lives of the little people unfortunately Mm -hmm. sorry iolo but well, you know, hopefully Elo took uh, the strength and patience of the hill's advice and uh, ran to where um, Tikaz was waiting and mm-hmm. rode off into the sunset with her uh, to live happily ever after in her mother's village. But, you know, we'll see. Like, <laughs> strength and patience has been basically talking to Iolo throughout the whole story. Like, as soon as Iolo shows up, it's like, oh, can you hear me yet, Iolo? Can you, can you hear me yet, Iolo? And finally, mm-hmm. you know, as, as, the, as strength and patience kind of gets more involved in Iolo's life, is able to communicate. Iola does not like say, Oh, this God here is telling like, they're very much like, wait a second. Something's wrong. This is not Mm -hmm. our God. This is not the God that we are all talking about. Like, (laughs) and even when strength and patience is like, yep, you're right. I'm going to pull this tower down. You should leave. It's very much like, I think that Iola fears strength and patience, which is, I guess, understandable Mm -hmm. because all these terrible things are happening. But, and it's and it's a obviously an old like a powerful god that mm-hmm. like no one knows like it's an unknown quantity and right and and that's seems what, yeah Yolo's like wait a like, second we need to know who this is like what are yeah. who are we dealing with so I feel like Yolo did ride into the sunset with Tikaz and like you know got the girl in the end so it's like there's this cute little romance happening and like all these st- all these things happen and it's really great that like Mawat's bullshit didn't get Yolo <laughs> killed but yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I feel like Iolo also is just kind of out there in the world, like afraid of this god that that, that he now narrow- has a very active interest in him, or like, or does he, or is like, is this over? Like, I don't know. I mean, it it seems like he didn't want anything to do with that god. Like, I wouldn't thank that god for killing all my friends and for putting me in that situation. And for, you know what I mean? I wouldn't be like. <laughs> thanks for not including me in that for a reason i don't understand like i don't know it's like it's (laughs) it is it's just kind of like oh no one was happy in the end like some people died some people barely got out of their lives some people started their vengeance like it just kind of fades to black it was a very very hbo ending (laughs) um (laughs) so yeah it didn't have that like potential for a happiness that the uh, that the that the ratch books have you know mm-hmm. where there it's like a riding into the sunset kind of like idea where it's like and the and the adventures continued you know it was very mm-hmm. much like oh no these people got fucked <laughs> well there's there's also so much ambiguity in in the end because like you don't we don't actually know how it plays out all we have is strength and patience of the hills saying eolo Everything that was here for you is gone. Run, go meet to cause, go live out your life. I offer you, you know, free passage. You will be protected. And like, they were. go. It's time to pull this tower down. Run. But you don't actually see it. Like, you don't know what happens. You don't so know if Elo chooses to stay. So is there a gigantic millstone, like, levitating its way to a mountain somewhere? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, no, because the, uh, the the very last scene was um, the, the millstone saying, if you look across the, the, the strait, you're going to see sails. And it's a fleet of right, ships coming. And on one of them is my friend Myriad, a meteorite that fell, you know, from the sky thousands of years ago. Um, and basically like whatever, whatever armada that was, was essentially coming to take, like they were going to come and take over, um, 
either they were Vistai taking or Iraden, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah, they were taking that all back because they had essentially failed to protect it from the invasion that, you know, that was described in that passage that I read. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I guess the myriad will put put her on a him. They I don't know. I keep I keep referring to patient strength and patience of the hill as a female as, a, as a she. Like yeah, a, she. I think we both did that without like in, independently. And is that because Lecky's a, a female, or was there some like I don't know? Just maybe the way strength and patience looked at things ha- looked at things had a slightly more feminine like. View. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't just know. Kept, I don't know. It was weird. Um, I think that also, like you know, very used to just kind of rolling with the. I think I think what Anne, when Anne is, whenever she is asked about, like, well, what do you, you know, you're you're definitely deliberately talking about gender by just changing it, right? By like change, mm-hmm. by making you more aware of gender as you're reading the stories instead of taking it for granted that there is a binary because there isn't. Like all those all those things are great. But I, I like the fact that she's like, okay, yes, that's really all I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to say, like, one thing is better than the other. I'm not trying to make any, like, grand statements about the gender. I'm just trying to use it in a different way so that mm-hmm. you are aware of it instead of it fading into the background as kind of like we do yeah. in our normal lives. So, I yeah, yeah I appreciate it, that mm-hmm. bit. Um, I think it's interesting to note, though, that Anne Leckie is, you know, an atheist and she wrote a story about gods that are real and so real that they affect the world that they are in. Um, so just kind of like the idea where it's like, okay, well, how, what, how do you create a world where there are gods? There are many gods. There are gods of different powers and types. They are real everything and they have powers. How, what kind of world does that create? Mm -hmm. Uh, as opposed to, you know, what we live in now where we have no fucking clue, right? I mean, like, I'm an atheist. I think I know that what the answer is to that is. But for many, it's not, you know, it's faith is very much not something that you can prove. That's the whole right. idea of faith. Whereas in this world, that's not a burden that you have as a person eh? who is faithful. Eh? I don't know. Because I, I actually appreciated the fact that um, that they had several discussions about... Uh, and and some of them were uh, amongst the humans, and some of them were well, like amongst... the silent, the god of the silent. Like we haven't heard from them in a while. Yeah, yeah, you know about like um, how. Uh, okay, so like at the at the end with the with the disease, there happened to be someone from you know Ardvuskia who was like, "I've seen this. This is what you need to do." And some of the villagers were like, "See, the god provided like right. a uh, a person to to be here to help us." But you know, there were discussions about how like you have to like if if you believe in one of these gods, make it easier for them to do the work that you're asking them to do. Mm-hmm. Like don't um you know, don't ask them to feed don't my family yeah, don't and then like not actually plant your crops, you know? <laughs> right. Like, yeah. but then when the crops grow as crops tend to do, like, was it really the God or was it just like you being a good farmer who actually like understands crop rotation and, you know, like when to plant things because but think, you've been doing I, it a while. I think oh. that maybe, and I think that may be lucky commenting on the difference between a God that you can communicate with, even if it's via these like bone tools Versus mm-hmm. a god like the god of the silent who had disappeared because they were dead, but they had disappeared <laughs> and yet the religion had continued and mm-hmm. what people were telling themselves, uh, you know, 
again it yeah. helps that it's called the god of the silent forest they're like oh well they're not a talker yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know like even though we've seen that there mu- people must have been like the god of the silent forest is amazing they brought a whole forest to life and it was an, uh, this unstoppable army that came in and blah blah you know like mm-hmm. that's real so like no like that's a no-brainer of course there's going to be people who crop up and like pledge themselves to that god because they saw it and then right and then nothing so it's kind of like well what do you tell yourself in all that interim about like about the nature of the god and like you know oh it's not providing for you anymore but is it because this person knows how to deal with that you know i think a silent Mm -hmm. god and and you know christianity or whatever like that's i think more similar than Hey God, are you talking to us right now? Yes or no? Like, right. and then you watch the little bones like levitate and flip around, you know, so they can communicate with you. I mean, that's clearly something that's happening that you yeah. can measure. Yeah, I mean, regardless of of whether of of what you believe, like bones start flipping of their own accord. <laughs> um, uh, you know, like that's that's. Like, there's just no other It's like the Ouija board, really. but, like, way clearer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, But it's... I, like... Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was gonna say, it's not like, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm gonna throw the bones and then interpret right. them. Like, it was literally, like, Strength and Patience was like, watch this, bitch, do a backflips, <laughs> like, cha-ching. All three of them just, yeah. like, turn of their own, like, kadunk, kadunk, kadunk. Uh, right. And, and, and it wasn't them, just one person, fall. right? They had rules where, it had, like, more than one person had to be there to corroborate what was being said. So somebody could yeah. be like, I interpreted the bones to say this, or I don't know what we're calling mm-hmm. the bones. They're, like, chips or... I don't know what they are. <laughs> um, like I'm calling them. I'm calling them bones just because, uh, like that, that was a thing I picked up in like New Orleans voodoo right. um, cultures. Like you, th- you know, throwing the bones. So right. like that's my euphemism for that style, I guess. Of yes, of yes, but like and yeah, and that's something that you know, like yeah, you're right. Most of the time, it's something that's thrown, and then you interpret it as it as the chance. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like tarot or something where it's like this is all something that I'm not controlling, but I am an interpreting. That whereas mm-hmm. in this universe, it's like no, 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 no. You can literally ask yes or no questions, <laughs> and, yeah. and the god will also tell you if they if it's not yes or no, and therefore you have to ask more specific questions. <laughs> yeah, like, it's complicated. And also, the god can <laughs> actually fucking talk to you. It's just easier if they don't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Something about that god voice. I don't know. I kind of. It was like you know one. Half a note away from the brown note, basically. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I was thinking um, of when of when Moya gets to talk in Farscape, where it's like it's just like a humming noise, where it's just like mm-hmm. and it sounds like words. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking of yeah, <laughs> horrible noise, where it's like, see, nobody wants me to talk, so I don't because it's awful. <laughs> uh, what else? Anything else that we want to talk about? Um, oh, yeah, a note that I wrote to myself. So this kind of second-person perspective where you only know what the narrator knows and you only can say – I think I think it's a little bit different, but the note that I wrote myself is like, okay, well, this is also kind of almost how we all experience reality in our minds because it's like mm-hmm. I don't really know what you're thinking. I can only interpret what you're thinking. But Mm -hmm. in this book, it's that plus the added constraint of like, I can't even tell you really what I think too much because if it's too far from the truth, it could hurt me. So I have to like 
be very particular. Like I can say, I think you feel angry, but I can't be like, I think you feel angry because of this, 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 and this, because that's like, that's too much assumption. Right. Yeah. And the, and there's all the, the careful crouching of, it seemed that this was the case, right? but you know, just because that's a way, that's a way to speak the truth that yes, to, from my perspective to me, it seemed like this was going on, but right. still allow for that not to have been what was going on at all. So the God wasn't like accidentally saying, oh, this is what happened. Right. Because Which that might not is, have been true. It's it an was, excruciating yeah. way to experience a story because yeah. again, one of the great things about reading stories in a book is because you can read often multiple perspectives right and really Mm -hmm. just get down to the truth like i know what happened like i Mm -hmm. saw it happen from four different angles like no 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 and this you have no idea if anything even really fucking happened like you just know from the point of view from you know the of of strength and patience this is probably what might be happening Mm -hmm. which is also how you get up and experience life like i i am probably getting up at 7 a.m and it's not a hologram universe but it could be and I'm probably, you know, like I'm probably going to get on a train, but it's probably going to be late for reasons that aren't true because it's the MTA. Like you, you never know if, if your reality, I mean, it's certainly not everyone else's reality. Like the person to right. my left, you know, like their, their reality is different from mine. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's, I find like, it's excruciating. I just want to know, just tell me what happened. <laughs> Like part of part of fiction is so I can escape from this goddamn exactly. ambiguous bullshit called yes. life. I just help. I just I want the dramatic irony of knowing that he's standing there like falling in love with her and she thinks yes. he hates her and that's yes. fun. And I that's like fine. that. I like, I like that, that certainty. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, um, what good is being a god if you don't know? Like, <laughs> what good are you? <laughs> Yeah. I do um, like though that if you're if you just have a bad day, you can really John Wick. Like you can you can just be like, <laughs> you know what, you're dead, and then they just if you're strong enough, <laughs> yeah, that reality um, is true. Like you just create your day. <laughs> God, yes. Yeah, so, so the uh, the moment where the uh, um this where strength and patience is like to to the in basically the God that. Uh, Lord Hibble had wanted to install once the Raven was dead. Um, was basically yeah, like, God. "Oh, little snake, you won't be the first god I've killed. In fact, <laughs> you won't even be the second. And then just like drops him. <laughs> like, that was so yeah. great. <laughs> yep, it's like that little snake over there. That's a dead snake. But I think they didn't. Nobody knew who they were fucking dealing with, right? Like they oh, thought no. that they were dealing with like a rock that had been spoken mm-hmm. alive by another long dead god. Like they thought they were dealing with some this crazy dilution of power which is just asinine on their part because it's like wait but you you know that this god has been funneling its power to like three other gods for a thousand Mm -hmm. years to keep this whole city afloat you really think it's like that diluted it's like no 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 no. that's a source that's a big source (laughs) but you that's your own peril like it seems like a lot of people made a lot of bad assumptions Mm -hmm. um so yeah there's there are, I think there are some lessons that we learned from Strength and Patience of the Hill. One, of course, is patience. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting all the facts, thinking everything through before you make... Because, again, the only time that they make a hasty decision, really, they fuck, they fuck themselves over by agreeing to help Oisin. Oisin, mm-hmm. yeah. And... 
uh, I, I'll, you know, vengeance is a dish best served cold as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, liking that, liking that. <laughs> very, I mean, yeah, very. It is a very satisfying read, especially that last, like, all, like, those last, like, five chapters. Like, I really mm-hmm. sped through those. Yeah, where, like, everything finally everything happens. happens. Yeah. And, yeah. like, people are running around invisible, and people are, like, revealing themselves from behind corners, and everyone's pointing fingers, and people are dying, and, like, there's met. I mean, there's a lot going on. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's, it's interesting. One, one comment that you had made was, you know, is this an expansion of a short story? Because it kind of has that feel. And actually, like, knowing that this was kind of based on a, or, you know, had source text of a couple different plays, it mm-hmm. actually does very much have, like, a, a play feel. Yes. Um, and, you know, often um, the uh, uh, amount of story that happens like in a play in a movie is very comparable to like a short story rather than a novel. Like novels just have so much more plot most of the time. Um, So maybe that's like kind of where that feel came from too. Um, I mean, I I didn't know that uh, she'd had short stories in this universe. So it's also possible this was originally a short story and was expanded or intended to be a short story. And then it's like, oh no, there's like way too much background. (laughs) Like, yeah, I I don't know. I have a novella of of background stories. So I don't, (laughs) yeah, I don't know if, if these are characters that we've encountered before in her short stories in this Mm -hmm. universe, like I now, I am interested in the myriad, like just because it's like, oh, you were a meteor that broke up. So that's why you like, why you like to occupy many things like Mm -hmm. clouds of mosquitoes and birds and schools of fish and like, you know, all those things. Um, I thought that was really interesting. The collective nouns. (laughs) Yes. All the, the, they're the Borg, uh, the Borg of this universe. (laughs) Although like mosquitoes fucking suck, Myriad, like... Find something else. But if you, it, but you know what? If a uh, if you want to be a very clear god presence, a swarm of mosquitoes and not another mosquito in the area, <laughs> and you like, you know, stand like go talk to somebody. Like, eh, I mean, that's pretty unambiguous. Like, that's jumping rocks shit right there. <laughs> oh yeah, so. where you're like, you can like form the mosquitoes into like a face that talks or something. <laughs> yeah, I did. It, it is nice that it was. There were some things that were very unambiguous, at least in the mechanics of the world. And then there were, you know, Mm -hmm. but again, as you experience the story and the details of what is true and what isn't true becomes a really kind of a matter of your own, like, trust in the source. Uh, But yeah, I I did enjoy it in the end. Um, Good. (laughs) I was worried, though, because I was like, oh my god, is this going to be the podcast where we actually, like, come to fisticuffs over a book because we had such divergent, you know, reactions? Well, I mean, it's not my favorite. (laughs) not my favorite and lucky book i mean like i i I did trust that i'm like look i've read four novels that she's written and i loved them so like i'm Mm -hmm. gonna just keep going i'm gonna trust that like this person whose point of view and style i really enjoy is going to pay you know pay out for me and it did but it it you know it it was difficult it was an uphill journey with a rock a little bit i had to push (laughs) that rock Uh. um let's see well, in terms of uh, of any uh, any other discussion points, I feel complete. Um, Do you so... want to talk about how long it took to kill the raven? Oh, um, I mean, I guess uh, that that was that was the only like question. You I know, think that... that like because we know that that raven had died, right? 
mm-hmm. and they were waiting for a new one to hatch. I think that's how long, but like how long was that? Well, I mean, I had the uh, I had the impression years? that the raven had been gone for like a long time. Um, and that the strength and patience had been impersonating the raven. Oh, impersonating for, the ravens. Yeah. So for for many leases, and uh, the the reason I thought that um, I guess was the lease was still alive until patience stopped. Until yeah, had a reason to kill him, um, yeah. or was no longer obligated to keep him alive as part of the ravens' right. agreements. That's um, true. That's a good detail. Yeah, but um, the. Uh, the reason I wonder that is because at some point the raven started using the tokens to communicate with its yes, lease and with the directions. And that was very much a thing from strength and patience. Um, and also yeah. because um, the raven only really ever seemed to take that one body. Like it wasn't any raven. It was that one raven. And it was the raven that it could like be in, like with embryonically like the whole way through. Mm-hmm. And there, there were yes, several discussions with um of strength and patience where it talked about how uncomfortable it was with the idea of leaving its rock so that's why i wondered if if like if it had been the raven for a long time and some of those traditions of like the the egg and only ever occupying that one raven body was because strength and patience really didn't like being in the raven and it's like the only way i'm doing this is if i can know that bird like every cell you know kind of thing yeah, no, that that's that's actually that's a good take. I believe that for sure. So, fuck the raven. <laughs> <laughs> Nevermore, bitch. <laughs> yeah, you suck. Uh, yeah. There were other gods that we didn't talk about. Um, Adim Chak, who was another one of the Ardvastia gods uh, that worked with Oishin. But again, I think Oishin died pretty much mm-hmm. as soon as as soon as they tried because of so because the raven was sucking up all the power from all those gods that had like funneled Mm -hmm. funneled their power i think i think so we know that oishin was trying to kind of fight against the raven but then when oishin was like i'm gonna take everything from everyone and throw it against the raven and then the raven tried to kill them all i think they all died and the only ones that survived were Strength and patience of the hill and the myriad. So that means that Boishan yeah. died, Adim Chak died, and then uh, probably the the god of the silent forest may have died in the in, in the kind of counter strike because mm-hmm. god of the silent forest was allied with the raven. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that the little bit some of those details were a little bit hard for me, and I did read that section several times and still kind of really had a hard time figuring out what the fuck was going on. Yeah, um, I mean, to me, the uh, like the the how and why and exactly like when the you know God of the Silent Forest died and when the Raven died um, were that was the most unclear. It was very clear that every God of Ardvuskia was gone, and that yeah. I like I didn't even know that Myriad survived until no, not like, until the, very the end. end. I thought Myriad was dead. Yeah, until yeah. until until they showed up at the end. Yeah, which was nice. I was glad. I was glad that the myriad was still alive. And I was like, yay, someone can act, who actually knows strength and patience of the hill and knows how to communicate with its followers, um, by which I mean like the myriad could communicate with myriad's followers uh, and say, okay, we need to like pick this rock up and haul it the fuck back up to its hill because that's where it wants to go back to. <laughs> well, no, it can, it can levitate. It just, it's easier to let people carry it. <laughs> <laughs> and you get those nice, like that nice offering of brow sweat and, uh, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah it's nice 
Uh, all right. Uh, so let's do our final questions. Uh, yeah. First one is, is it fashion? Uh, no. No. <laughs> like it, there's no I, fashion. I don't, think it, I don't think a single, like, was a single outfit even described? Like, but Beyond, not like, fashion. someone's wearing a jacket. A lot of naked sitting in the mud. So <laughs> that's not... <laughs> Is it a fashion shoot? Maybe, but it's not fashion. Uh, who is your murder? Murder? Who is your Mary? And who is your fuck? Um, Gods uh, can be included. Okay. Um, I mean, murder? Honestly, maybe Oishin. He was just a shysty fuck. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's and... That was the dog god. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then maybe, uh, I, I think Mary, maybe Iolo, because like he's just so clearly like loyal and um devoted and strong and in, like intelligent and capable and you know just all all the things that you would want like a good in person. a partner yeah, yeah. and a, 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 a good, a good person. yeah um and i don't know uh the fuck is always hard because like, i don't know <laughs> um tikaz she's beautiful there, there yeah, we go <laughs> that's good i'm gonna oh, let's see who am i gonna murder i'm gonna murder um, he still he stole mine. I'm gonna murder the mounder up of skulls because ew. Um, I am Don't going to battle gods. Yeah, screw that. I'm gonna marry. Who am I gonna marry? I guess yeah. I'm gonna steal Iolo because that's pretty much the only person that doesn't seem unhinged. And maybe fuck the myriad because there's like a lot of them like oh that could be fun that could like, be fun. depending on depending depending on the uh the the group collective there <laughs> mosquitoes yes. might not be fun but you know <laughs> yes uh and then our final question on uh, is uh is there a worm in it no no i mean i hope there is but but we didn't see it we didn't see it so we don't know yeah well, uh, I guess as as one final question, do you think there's going to be a sequel, or do you think like that was no. it? And... I think I think this was a stand. I mean, I, I she might go back to this universe, but I think this was a standalone. Okay, because I, I, I like, it's such a perfect ending to be like this tower's coming down. Like I don't know. Yeah, like I I I had so many like I I went back and forth with myself so many times on whether I would want one or not because like it is like such a perfect ambiguity at the end Mm -hmm. but like it's but i don't mean like that it's a perfect ambiguity like it's a perfectly it's perfectly satisfying in its ambiguity you almost don't want to know but at the same time if you know for whatever reason she chooses to continue the story i'm gonna like be reading that so fast so i'm like "Eh," but i but i kind of incline with you it's just it's such a great like like, it is so satisfying. There's so much emotional payout. I kind of hope that, like, it just stays there. And if we see Strength and Patience of the Hill in another novel, great. But, like, we don't – I don't need – I don't know. I don't want to yeah. know. I'm like, kind of anti-epilogue right now. Like, <laughs> there's just – it keeps happening, and it seems like a thing that people do now where it's like, I'm going to end my story, but then I'm also going to try to control how you think of the story in your mind. Mm-hmm. It, like, how like what happens to these characters mm-hmm. by, like, giving you these endless epilogue options. And it's happening in books and TVs and movies, and I'm just – I really like the idea of it just being like, and there's the ending. And whatever you mm-hmm. do with that, truly because this one is ambiguous, yeah, is fine. Yeah. 
does Aolo run? Does Aolo stay in the tower and get killed with everyone else? Because the, the tower's coming down. Like, that's yeah. not... Or, or is it? I don't know if Aolo chooses to stay with the strength and patience, like, hold its hand and not destroy the tower and, you know, let Aolo, like, try and, def- like, fight against the uh, the invading armada. And, you know, right. does that put the strength like, and patience against Myriad? Like... Like, oh my and gosh, then like you know. and it's kind of like a kill bill situation too because it's like okay mm-hmm. you've had your vengeance but what have you now precipitated like all these uh-huh. people like you know like the myriad coming in and like killing all these people like there's some people that got genuinely wronged and didn't mm-hmm. do anything wrong yeah uh, so yeah there could be there could be more there could be more set in this like as you know as a result of these actions for mm-hmm. sure all right uh so up next uh it is my turn to recommend a book uh, so I thought about this. We have done uh, source texts for or inspirational texts for Anne Leckie before. So instead of recommending N.K. Jamison, which I feel like is kind of a logical step, I'm going to kind of take more of an illogical step and do uh, more of like a thematic uh, recommendation instead of like a conversational uh, one. So okay. we're going to do Brandon Sanderson. Um, so obviously Jemison is an influence, uh, but Sanderson is kind of going to do the same thing in the book that I'm recommending, which is called Warbreaker. It is also a standalone book about gods, uh, and there are a lot of parameters to that godhood. Uh, and I think it's kind of a nice pairing one because we've gone from a female author to a male author, from an atheist author to a, you know, a, a Mormon author. And uh, it's also standalone like the Raven Tower. So it's, I think it's going to be a nice comparison. Um, I am okay. not. So I do, I have a very love-hate relationship with Brandon Sanderson. I like some of his books. I do not like some of his others. But Warbreaker is one of the ones that I remember enjoying, although it has been a very long time since I read it. So we'll see. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, I look forward to reading it because Sanderson is someone who has been on my radar for literally a decade to a decade and a half at this point and I just have never had that kick in the butt to actually read one of his books he's like one of those authors though that like I really understand why people like him one because he's very prolific uh he's kind of transparent about the way he writes and he has like a satisfying uh way of puzzle piecing all of his things together so that you know, like this detail on page three does pay off, you know, Mm -hmm. at the end. Uh, And all of his books are set in the Cosmere. So even if they're not in the same direct universe, they are linked through the Cosmere. So that's also an obsession that you can get into if you want. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, but yeah, Warbreaker has some of my favorite characters in the Cosmere in it. And some of the cooler magic systems that he's invented. He's really great at magic systems. So, okay. Awesome. Yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Hope so. Yay. And uh, until next time, good talking and everybody listening. Thanks for hanging in there with us. Thank you. Bye. Bye.